1: All right, well, good afternoon. My name's Grant, if we've never met before, and I was here in December, and a lot's happened since then. You guys have, like, spawned. You've multiplied. You have two campuses. I uh, just want to welcome everybody, say hi to everybody in uh, Prescott Valley. That is, uh, this is really awesome. Things are, things are happening at this church, like not a lot of other churches in the country. You guys know that, right? You guys, yeah. You're like, yeah, that's cool. It's cool, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I am so glad to be with you guys every once in a while. Um, basically, Jason lets me come out here uh, just for some emotional, like, recovery. And uh, basically, it's just so I can come out here and remember what sunshine feels like because I'm from Michigan. So I, I, I come out here from Michigan. Turns out sun's kind of important to, like, life and stuff, and I need it. Um Today uh, we are continuing a series talking about the parables. Jason made this really great point. It's just so interesting. Sometimes we think the parables are for like helping us understand things, but that's kind of one thing that they do. But the parables of Jesus were actually like an encrypted code that Jesus gave and he was like, hey, if you want to understand what I'm telling you, if you want to get this, if you're leaning in, if you're seeking me the way I'm seeking and pursuing you, then I want you to get it. But if you're not leaning in, if you're not seeking me, if you don't want to get it, then I don't want you to get it. And so Jesus would tell parables, and he would tell these parables, sometimes long, sometimes short, and he would just say them. And then he'd just be like, well, if you know, you know. see him? Then he'd walk away, and that's kind of what... That's kind of what the parables are. And we, today, we can look back, and again, it's the same truth. If we're leaning in, if we want to know what God has to say to us, then we're going to be able uh, to understand it. Today, we're going to specifically focus on four parables that are parables of the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are short parables that talk about the kingdom of heaven, but I think before we get to the parables, it's important for us to talk about this concept of the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus would describe what he was doing on planet Earth, the movement of God on planet Earth, he called it the kingdom of heaven. Now, we call it the church. Don't get me wrong. Church is a biblical word. It's okay to say church, right? I'm not arguing against that. But our definition, our modern-day definition of church kind of leaves us to sort of a small-minded place. When you think of church, you might think of a building or a church you grew up in with a steeple or something like that. When you think of church, you might think of people. I think of, I think of the small country church I was in in uh, Nebraska where I grew up, and there was a, there was a smelly basement that they would lead me to, and uh, and then I would be down there with Millie who was my Sunday school teacher, and Millie and I didn't get along very good because I was a handful, and uh, so there was that's kind of what comes to my mind when I think of church. You might think of. This church versus that church. You might think of like, well, yeah, there's this one, and then there's that one, and this one's a denomination, this one's not a denomination, and you might, you might think of some of those categories that we have, and it's just not a, I don't know, it's just not a great definition of God's overall movement on the earth. But when you think of kingdom, you think of a, a power and an authority and a greater will from heaven here on earth. You think of the the armies of heaven, the angels that are there are somehow participating in what we're doing here on planet earth. And most of all when you think of a kingdom, you think of a king because kingdoms have kings. And I think it might be good for us to live in a world where maybe we define what it is that we are by by talking about it as a kingdom versus just a church. Cuz Churches have pastors, which are great, but kingdoms have kings. And when you think of it that way, you don't think of this church versus that church. You think of being a part of something much, much bigger, part of a group of people that are collectively coming together as from every tribe and language and nation and people. A couple of years ago, I got convinced. I was like, man, if I, just, if I could just know, If I could just know, and I wouldn't have to remind myself constantly, if I could just be assured that God was actually on his throne and he was in charge, it would change everything about my life, the way I viewed my outlook on life. And so I opened up Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 is the throne room scene of God, and it is spectacular. And I read through there, and I was just like, I was so convinced if I just memorized that... And I hid that away in my heart, that it would change my perception and remind me of who's really in charge. And I think in this world, we kind of need that. So I want you to hear this. We're not going to put it on the screen, but I just want you to like let this, this chapter do what it's intended to do, to paint this picture of an awesome God on his awesome throne. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, says this. It says, After this I looked, and there before me uh, no, it doesn't. Let me just start all over again. <laughs> that's, uh, that's like verse 3. Uh, after this, the voice I had first heard speaking to me as a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must soon take place after this. At once, I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne. And the one who sat on the throne had the appearance of Jasper and of Carnelian. A rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in white, and they had crowns of gold on their head. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne were seven lamps blazing. These are the seven spirits of God that go out into all the earth. In the center before the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes all around. The first living creature looked like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a face like that of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. They each had six wings, and they were covered with eyes all around, even under their wings. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the, 20, whenever the four living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns of gold before him and they say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power for you created all things and by your will all things were created and have their being. That's the throne of the king that we serve. I'd rather be a part of a kingdom than a church. And that throne is a lot more impressive Than the Oval Office. It's a lot more impressive, like we Yeah, you can clap for that. That's right. They're clapping here. You should clap there too. It's a lot more impressive. We get so concerned and so focused about what's happening here in this world, and God's just sitting on his throne the entire time and he wants us to believe in that. The, the Apostle Paul was writing to the Philippians, and he, he turned to them, and he was comparing kind of the people of this world to those of us who have put our faith in Christ, and this is how he describes it. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. This kingdom thing isn't, it's not just an analogy. It's, it's not just Jesus or Paul coming along and saying, yeah, I mean, the church is kind of like a kingdom. It's a real kingdom. I am just a resident here in the United States and I'll try to be the best resident I can be but I'm here on a green card. I am on foreign soil. My citizenship is in heaven. That's my home. How encouraging would it be every day if you lived that way. And so today I want to just talk about the kingdom and and Jesus gives us four parables but I think it's important to understand like there's this greater purpose on earth with the kingdom. And he gives us four parables, and they're all very simple, but just because things are simple doesn't mean they're profound, and he kind of encodes or locks away four truths about the kingdom in these parables. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says in verse 31, verse, these are all very short parables, he says he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. I don't know if you've ever planted anything, but when you plant things, it's amazing how slow. Like, we're, we're used to, like, a world where things are happening, right? Things are popping. My daughter actually came home last Easter. She's 21. She was living at home last year. Now she's not. But last year she came home from Easter, and, and I guess our church had handed out seed packets to everybody for Easter. I don't know why. But anyway, she was like, I'm going to plant one of those seeds. So she's 21. She planted the seed. It took like three days before she saw any growth and it took like a week and it sprouted up and she was like ready for a flower by day ten. And it just kept growing, it kept getting longer. It was just some kind of wild flower or something. And it kept growing, kept getting longer and everything, and it got up and it was all it was up here and I was like, any day now it's probably it was like a month and maybe six weeks later and it still hadn't flowered. And she was just growing so impatient. And then one day I came home and it was just gone. I said, Where'd it go? And she's like, I was just tired of waiting. <laughs> I was like, you were so close. <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's what it's like when you plant something. And if you watch it, it's like, is this thing ever going to grow? But those things grow and grow and grow. And he says, it's like uh, the kingdom of heaven is like somebody planted a mustard seed. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds come and perch in its branches. And Jesus is making a really... A really simple point and he could have said this he could have just got up and not told a parable and he could have been like the kingdom starts small and gets big that's probably how i would have said it but again he was encrypting it he was locking it away in this parable so that now when people look back it's like oh that's that's what he meant that makes more sense because people were expecting a kingdom like they were thinking armies they were thinking soldiers they were thinking have our own economy our own government our own identity they were expecting it to be an us and them type situation and jesus gives them this parable to lock away the key and they're like no it's not just going to show up one day and be this big thing it's going to be something that starts small and grows big. And if we look back 2,000 years later, that's exactly what happened. After, On the, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, and they get, Peter gets up and presents the gospel message for the very first time. 3,000 are added to their number, and then it began to spread in Jerusalem. But that's a pretty small speck, and the rest of the world... And then a persecution came, and the church was spread, and then the guy named Apostle Paul comes, and, and God calls him, and he spreads the gospel all over Asia Minor, and that eventually leads to Europe, and Europe takes over the world, and then as Europe expands in different countries, as we go west, and then all of a sudden the kingdom of God is all around the world to where, at this point, it started with just a few disciples, but now 2.4 billion people on this earth would say that they believe in Jesus it starts small, and it gets big. Now, the second parable is like that first parable, but he adds a different nuance that is super important. Next verse, he says, he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the dough. Now, this is Fun fact, this is the shortest parable. That's it. It's over. I have a feeling people were leaning in, and Jesus was like, tells this one, and he gets down to the end, and he says, it's like the yeast that works through the dough, and they're just like, oh, okay, he's done. That's over. All right. That's, that's the end. Um, they're like, what are we supposed to do with that? But again, Jesus is saying the same thing he said in the first one, but different. He's saying that the yeast works in. Again, people are expecting an us and them type mentality, a kingdom here on earth. And the way every other nation works is this nation takes up this region and they live there and the other nations live over here and they live there. They're kind of expecting that kind of kingdom. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's like a little bit of yeast that works throughout the whole batch of dough. I don't know if you can tell this by looking at me, but I, uh, I like bread. <laughs> is it that obvious? Okay. I like bread. I I actually have a relationship with bread. But anyway, I love Cheesecake Factory. Apparently, you don't have Cheesecake Factory around here. I don't even care about the cheesecake, but man, the bread. When you go in there, they give you two types of bread. It's water. They just give you butter. I do a 50-50 ratio bread butter. You can probably also tell that by looking at me. But anyway, I was just like just cramming that in there. I don't know if I'm dipping the butter in the bread or the bread in the butter. Anyway. I like bread. Um, As I've eaten bread, like when I take a bite out of it, I have never bit into bread and gone, "Mm, this yeast is so good. (laughs) You don't do that. Yeast is essential, but it's a very small amount. And it changes the whole dynamic of the whole thing. Yeast is a common theme throughout Scripture. And Jesus is like, hey, the the kingdom of heaven, it isn't over there. and It isn't over there. It isn't us and them. It's going to work into the entire batch. And that's exactly what it does. Over the years, we've fought against this, but this is what it is. the, the kingdom of heaven is everywhere. I think there's a practical uh, relevance to this that's happening right now in our world. Um, right now, you have Russia attacking Ukraine. You have these two different con- countries that we're watching this happen in a in a major headline. And as you look at it, you, you used to the, you, we're used to thinking, okay, who's right and who's wrong? Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? And God's looking at it a different perspective, because the kingdom of heaven exists both in the Ukraine and in Russia. And it might surprise you, because when you think of Russia, you probably don't think, oh, there's a bunch of Christians in Russia. You think, communists, right? That's what we think, that's what we're trying to think. But actually, of the 144 million people that live in Russia, 67 million of them claim to be followers of Jesus. That doesn't mean that every one of them is, not every, see Matthew 7 about this, but not everybody who claims to be a follower of Jesus is, but I'm saying that the kingdom of heaven is alive and well in Russia, and they have a role right now to lead people to eternal life. The Ukraine isn't very different. The Ukraine, about 55% of their population would say that we claim Christianity, that they believe in Jesus. Again, not everybody that claims that is I'm saying the kingdom of heaven is alive and well in the Ukraine. And then on top of that, our church uh, in Michigan, we support a church that we helped start years ago in Poland that is helping Ukrainian refugees uh, as they escape to give them home and shelter and food and clothing and stuff like that. And in that whole situation, we think the epic battle is, who's going to win? How's it going to affect our economy? Is it going to lead to World War III? And God's going, my kingdom is already at work. It mixes through the whole batch. It's on both sides of the line. And that's what Jesus tells us. It's not like a kingdom you've ever seen before. And then we skip down a few verses, and Jesus gives us another parable of the kingdom of heaven. These two parables are going to be different from the first and make a different point. But in verse 44, he says, "The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field." Again, Jesus has encrypted something here. It's really pretty simple if you're leaning in and listening to it. It's really simple. And, and I think it, uh, it comes to something that we normally think of. We normally think of the value that things have in our life, and we begin to weigh those, especially when it comes to making a decision to follow Jesus. Sometimes I watch people, like, get really close. They may even take the step of baptism, but I, I mean just, like, really close to, like, where they're like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, you know. I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. But they wouldn't articulate it this way, but what happens is they begin to weigh the value. And they begin to think, man, it seems like Jesus is asking me to give up a lot. Kind of seems like he wants me to, to change my entire worldview." he wants me to think differently than i thought my whole life he wants me to think differently than i my family raised me to think or the people or my friends or my coworkers I, i'm supposed to think differently than them that seems like a lot it seems like he wants me to to define my life my 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 sexuality my morals he wants me to define that the way he wants to define and that it feels like i'm giving up something there in order to do it it feels like I have to surrender my entire will to, like, what he wants for my life. And I don't know, when, when I see, I mean, I want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, but it seems like he's asking of me everything. And the reason it feels like that is because he is. He is 100%. That is the price of admission, nothing short of Everything. Everything in your life, your mind, your body, your heart, your soul, your spirit, comes into submission to the sovereignty of God as your king. And sometimes people weigh that and they're like, well, I don't, I don't know if I can pay that price. I don't know if I can give that up. And Jesus tells a short par- parable that I think clears it all up. He's like, I know it's going to cost you. I know it's going to cost you a lot. But it's worth it. I, uh, I have a lot of things in my life that I, that I want, that I feel like God won't let me have. I know that sounds terrible, but like, I think God deals with any, any, every individual differently. When I was 14, I remember thinking, man, when I am an old man, like so the age I am now, when I am an old man, I'm going to drive something cool. I got no, what else am I gonna do with money, right? Like I'm gonna drive something cool. Um, for you, that might mean a sports car. For me, that meant like an old truck. And for like right now, there's nothing I would rather drive in my life than like a 92 Cummins diesel, four wheel drive truck, like that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> so that was my ambition in life. Well, I don't mean to brag. But I just want you to know, right now, I drive a 2013 Ford Focus. <laughs> hatchback. That's right. It looks like a bear crawling in a tiny car at the, at the circus, but that's so why I drive. Now, why do I drive that? Well, there are all kinds of economical reasons and everything, but like, that's basically what I want. And every once in a while, I'll turn to my wife, and I was like, you know, if we just didn't give to the church, I could afford any truck I want. <laughs> She's like, yes, dear. Yes, dear, I know. But sometimes I have to do that, and sometimes there's things in your life that you feel like you might have had to give up because you're investing in the kingdom of heaven, literally financially, or maybe just you're giving with your heart, and you have to, you have to give those up. And yeah, you might have to give up a dream truck, but what you get is the kingdom of heaven. You get the king, not just a kingdom that is established by God here on earth, but one that lasts for eternity. I've talked with a lot of people that are in a conflict when they, they realize that they might have to give up a relationship for the kingdom of heaven, that they realize that they're headed in different directions, and it, it kind of is a hypocrisy for them to be in this relationship with a person that's going in the opposite direction, and so this epiphany kind of happens to them that they're like, oh, I need to, I need to end this relationship for, the, for, for what I need to do to follow Christ. And for many people, that's too much. And they go, I just can't do that. This relationship means too much. And it's not like Jesus isn't saying, yeah, I get it. It has value. And it is, you're going to have to give that up, and it may hurt. But what you get is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, I get it. You have to give up everything. But the value of what you're getting is so much more. A lot of times we spend our life building our own little kingdoms. That's what we end up doing. I remember reading in uh, Solomon, and Solomon's job in the Old Testament was to build the temple of God. And so he built the temple of God, and he built it to spec. And then I just thought it was interesting. His next project was to build his own palace. And it's almost as if he took the measurements from the temple, and he just doubled all of them. And he made it twice as wide, twice as tall, twice as long. And he built his own, his own kingdom. A lot of times that's what we do. I mean, we've, we've got to live in homes, and we've got to drive cars, and we've got to have jobs. But sometimes we get so invested in all of that that we're really just building our own kingdom. And yeah, we, we serve at church, maybe we give a little. But really what we're doing is building our own kingdom. And God calls us to not do that, to not invest so deeply, to not put our heart there, to not make our primary investment in this world, building our own little kingdom. And sometimes that hurts, and there's sacrifice required because it has value. Jesus gets that. But what you get in return is the kingdom of heaven. Hear God's purpose here on this earth and for eternity. Jesus tells another parable, similar. He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. That's it, that's the whole parable. Again, I think he's doing what he did with that last parable, but I think he's appealing to those of you out there that like to make smart investments. Anybody like to make smart investments? Anybody? Like everybody does, right? You don't, want to ever, you don't ever go to the car dealership and just like, hey, could you just take me for everything you're wearing? I mean, I just, I'd love to pay over a sticker if I can. Look, we, we don't want to do that. All of us like to make smart investments, but some of you out there are especially savvy. Maybe you've invested in real estate or you're in the stock market. And then there's those of you who are out there, and you've, back in the day when it was just the right time, you invested in Bitcoin. And there were people like me going, you're such a moron. Might as well invest in Monopoly money. Well, you invested, and it turned out to be really smart, and then you made a windfall, and now you're just like really doing really well because you made that investment, and you like to let everybody know. And here's what I want to do. I just want to say to you, congratulations, you did it. Now shut up about it. The, the, the rest of us are tired of hearing about it. I swear, every time I go to church, somebody's like, I'm gonna Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. Shut up. I think he's appealing to those of you that like to make investments, and he's like, hey, let's talk investment. Like, what's it look like? What if, what if you were to sacrifice this for that? Like, what, what do you get in return? And he begins to talk about the value of the kingdom of heaven. it's just like a guy that knew pearls. Man, he's an investor. He's looking to make money. He's looking for deals. He finds one that he knows that is worth ten times everything he owns. It would be stupid for him to not go completely out of business and sacrifice everything to buy this one pearl. Jesus is telling us simply with these two parables, the kingdom is worth everything. It's worth everything. It's so much more valuable than anything that you could possibly imagine giving up in this life. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he calls us to choose. Will you invest in your kingdom or will you give it up for his kingdom? That's the price of admission. Years ago, um, before my wife and I were married, we've been married for 24 years, and years ago uh, when she was looking for a man before she ever met me, she was looking for a musician. She wanted some guy that could sing and play the guitar and just had blonde hair whisked over his head, and she was just looking for that, right? And so she dated a couple guys and knew a couple guys that were that, and, uh, and nothing ever really worked out. And when she saw me, uh, she was not impressed, I had just walked off the back 40 of the farm I grew up in Nebraska, and I was literally, I was working, but I literally was wearing bib overalls and a John Deere hat. And she looked at me, I saw her for the first time in the cafeteria where she worked, and she looked over at me, and her first response was, ew. She was not interested. And it was, uh, it was a while, but eventually we came to that beautiful little spot where she was out of options. And... <laughs> and she totally settled. And a lot of you guys in the room know what I'm talking about. And uh, she's always told me, she's like, you're not the guy I wanted, but you're the guy I needed, which I think is a compliment. I don't, I'm not even sure. But anyway, I want you to imagine that that now, like we've been married for 24 years, if she started hanging around a guy that Played the guitar and was musical and had the blonde hair that he whisked over his full head of hair. And she just started hanging around with him. And I kind of questioned her one day. and be like, hey, seems like you're spending a lot of time with a guy. You know, that's not your husband, which is me. Like if I began to talk to her like that, ask her questions. And finally she's like, well, I'm glad you asked me because I just want you to know I love you. You're my number one. You're always going to be my husband. You're everything. But I really like this guy, too. And he just kind of makes up for some of the things that you're not. And so I'm going to spend time with him, but you're always going to be my husband. What would my response be? My response would be I would sing to her. And the song I would sing is, heck no, to the no, 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 right? That's I'd be like, absolutely not. This is one of those him or me situations, right? In order for this to work, you have to choose me, him. And I think God comes to us over and over with the options. There's your kingdom and there's my kingdom. In order to be a part of my kingdom, you have to sacrifice your kingdom. It will cost you everything. But the value, the reward is you get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. God's power here on this earth his purpose here and now and for all eternity i want to end by sharing with you a passage from hebrews chapter 12 it kind of is a passage that just sticks out to me kind of res- resides with me in my heart all the time because he describes the kingdom of heaven and he compares it to the old testament he compares it to mount sinai so he has Mount Sinai, and then they're also talking about uh, Mount Zion. And there's a comparison happening between these two. And it, if you don't know, Mount Sinai in the Old Testament was a significant event where the Israelites come to Mount Sinai. And it's a, it's a fiery mountain, and the cloud descends on it, and God's presence is literally here on earth. And it is, it is a big deal uh, because it is God's presence on the earth. And it was, it was both terrifying and awesome. And, and there were rules about it. Like, even if an animal were to go up and touch the mountain, it would die. If people went up to the mountain, they would die because it was a, the presence of a holy God among unholy people. So, again, it, it was terrifying, and it was awesome, and it is remembered. He's going to compare that, or the writer of Hebrews is going to compare that to Mount Sinai. And I just want you to listen as he describes the kingdom that you and I are a part of. Hebrews chapter 12. He says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. You haven't come to Mount Sinai, even though it was terrifying and it was awesome, because they, continuing to talk about Mount Sinai, because they could not bear What was commanded. Even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And Moses, at this point in his life, had seen some stuff. And yet he was standing in front of this mountain, trembling with fear. He says, But you, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it, you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things. That is you and me. That is our kingdoms here on this earth and the entire world. So that what cannot be shaken may, be, may remain. And then he says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Since you and I belong to a kingdom that will be here long after the kingdoms and nations of this earth have fallen. Since we belong to this kingdom, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire that's the kingdom that we get to be a part of and when you compare it to the kingdoms that we're building here on earth our kingdoms are nothing and so today don't don't be a part of a church be a part of a kingdom This kingdom has been growing. It started off small, but it's been growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it doesn't really matter what the world throws at it. It doesn't matter what evil is thrown out of it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And it just keeps growing. It mixes into every tribe and language and nation and people. And it is worth more than anything here on this earth. Let me pray for you. God, I pray that we would be kingdom-minded people. God, I pray that we would lay down our kingdoms and our world so that we could chase after yours. Lord, I pray that you would help us to realize today that everything is a small price to pay for the glorious riches you will give to us. God, help us to keep that in our heart and to know that as we live our lives under your rule and reign. And I pray that in Christ's name, amen